Good evening, everyone. Um, this reading is taken from John chapter 20, starting at verse 1. John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus, Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Then Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus, when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I have seen the nails mar- nail marks in his hands, and put my fingers where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, 
Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. So Hannah is now going to speak for us. We'll pray before you begin. Um, Dear God, we thank you for Hannah. We thank you for this talk she's prepared. We pray that it will really challenge us and move us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesse. Good evening. Give me a second. I can't multitask. Good evening. Hello. Lovely to see you all here tonight. Happy Easter. I hope you have had a wonderful day. The sun is shining. Um, We have spent our day mainly inside the church talking about the sunshine outside. But that is okay. It's supposed to be sunny tomorrow as well. It is really, really lovely to see you all here tonight. And before I start, before I forget, you have been given an egg on your way in. Um, you don't need it right now, but if you haven't opened it, don't open it yet. Just That's one way to make sure you all open it right now, right? Don't open it. Um, hold on to it. And we have also got a lovely uh, colouring beanbag area over there um, for any children that are getting a little bit distracted, but you are very welcome wherever you are. Um, yeah, you're very, very welcome. On with what I'm going to be talking about tonight. And I'm going to be talking just for the next few minutes or so, effectively about the essence of Easter, about the resurrection, about the fact that Jesus has risen, he's resurrected, that is what we're here celebrating tonight. And I just wanted to ensure at the beginning of my talk that we are, we're on the same page in terms of you know what I'm talking about. And that is the fact, as Christians, on Good Friday, just two days ago, we remembered the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that on Easter Sunday today, we are celebrating the fact that he has risen from the dead. That is the essence of what I'm talking about. That is the basis of what I'm going to be talking about. And in order to do that, we're going to look at John 20, so it would be really helpful if you've got your Bibles open. And we're going to be looking at three encounters that happen within John 20. Three encounters which fall into three points, conveniently, um, that we're going to be focusing on. And those three points are this. Number one, when you don't understand. Number two, when all hope seems lost. And number three, when it's too hard to believe. Jesus calls us into relationship with him. I'm going to say that again. You also have a card with it on. Number one, when you don't understand. Number two, when all hope seems lost. And number three, when it's too hard to believe. Jesus calls us into relationship with him. I'm just going to pray for a moment as we start. Father God, I thank you that we are here, Lord. I thank you we can celebrate your resurrection tonight. Lord, take my words take my planning, take my preparation. Anything that isn't of you, Lord, I pray it falls on deaf ears. Anything that is from you tonight, Lord, may it fall on open hearts and open minds to hear and receive from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Let's get started. Number one, when you don't understand. And for this, we're going to look at Simon Peter and the other disciple. So we're looking at verses three to verses nine to start with. Simon Peter and the other disciple. And I'm just going to read from verse three. It says, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Note that we're coming back to it. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who, don't forget, had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So Mary has arrived at the tomb early in the morning, and she's discovered that Jesus isn't there. So she goes to find Simon Peter and the other disciple, and they run to the tomb. Now this passage is about the resurrection. It's about the fact that Jesus has risen. And yet for some reason, the author of John's Gospel feels it's important to note that the other disciple beats Simon Peter in this race to the tomb. I don't know about you, but that's really struck me this week. This is about the resurrection. It's about Jesus rising from the dead. But yet the first thing, really, we know after the fact that Jesus isn't there is that the other disciple is quicker than Simon Peter. Now, I'm a runner, so maybe that's why I've picked up on that this week. But that has really struck me. The other disciple beats Simon Peter to the tomb, whether he's younger, whether he's fitter, maybe he had a head start. Whatever it is, he is there first. However, he arrives at the tomb, and he's fearful. He stops. He's scared. He doesn't enter straight away. It's like he wins this physical journey to the tomb, but yet suddenly is encountered with a spiritual journey that he's suddenly part of and isn't so sure. He's won a physical race to the tomb, but is suddenly unsure of the spiritual journey he's found himself as part of. Simon Peter enters the tomb. He sees the strips of linen lying there. He, he realizes, we think, what has happened And it isn't until the other disciple steps over into the tomb, he steps over the threshold into the tomb, it says, he saw the strips of lion, sorry, I've lost my place. The other disciple went inside and he saw and believed. He saw the strips of linen, he saw and believed. And yet the thing I want to pick up on is verse 9. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had had to rise from the dead. And I think that's interesting. There are prophecies all over the Old Testament that Jesus, that someone was going to come to this earth, was going to be God on earth, was going to die, was going to rise again. The disciples knew their Old Testament. They knew that Jesus was likely to leave and probably was going to come back. Jesus had hinted at it throughout the Gospels. And yet in this moment, they don't remember that. They don't realize from scripture that Jesus needs to rise from the dead. And yet that isn't a barrier to them. It isn't a barrier to them believing in the resurrection. They see the strips of linen lying there. They see and they believe. And because of that, they come into relationship. They can come into relationship with Jesus. 
They've seen and believed and nothing else, their lack of scripture, their lack of knowledge of what is supposed to happen right now isn't a barrier to them. And I've been really challenged by this this week. Actually, this could be relevant to some people here tonight. You see, so often people can think that their lack of biblical knowledge, their their lack of understanding of scripture, their lack, maybe if we stretch this a little bit, their lack of Christian lifestyle, their lack of how they live their life, is a barrier between them seeing and believing in the resurrection. And this passage is saying all those other disciples needed was to see and believe in the resurrection, and everything else can come later. Their lack of scripture can come later. Their lack lack of understanding of why it's happened can come later. They've seen and they've believed in the resurrection. And because of that, they can have life through Jesus. I was at uni um, last year. Gosh, only last year. Um, I finished uni, and I was involved in the Christian Union there. And we used to put on events all the time for uh, people to come and share their testimonies, their stories on how they became Christians. And people would come along, and the idea was more people could find out about the gospel and and come into relationship with God. And we used to get some incredible uh, people come and share their stories. There was one where there was a man um, who'd been involved in an attempted murder. And during the murder... um, inquiry during all of that was going on. He'd become a Christian and he'd uh, served his time and then he'd lived his life as an evangelist afterwards. There was another one who was involved in a bank robbery and during the actual bank robbery he'd had like this revelation, this vision uh, from Jesus and had, had surrendered. He'd held his hands up, he'd served his time and then he was living as a Christian and telling his story. And I used to take a friend to these events. She was my housemate. She wasn't a Christian. She isn't a Christian. And she used to come to everything with me. Um, She found it really interesting. There was often free food. Um, And she'd come along. And we went out um, for a drink after one of these events. I think it was the one about the bank robbery. And we were sitting talking about it. And I said, what did you think? And she went, you know what, Hannah, it was great. It was great. It was a great event. But why is it that at all of these events you take me to, someone has to do something really bad in order to then become a Christian. Why is it that it's always people that have murdered someone or robbed a bank or done something really dramatic in order that they can then transform their lives around and become a Christian? And she went, I know that's not everyone because you're a Christian and as far as I know, you haven't robbed a bank and you haven't killed anyone. I haven't. (laughs) Just in case. But... Why is it that they're the ones that we see? And she's got a point. She has got a point. And of course, there are stories. Everyone that is a Christian has stories of how before they were a Christian and how Jesus has changed their lives around. Of course, everyone has stories of how their lives have been transformed. But the reason those stories get the airtime, the reason those stories are the ones that people want to hear It's because it's dramatic, because it's people that haven't had any kind of biblical understanding, haven't lived in a Christian lifestyle kind of way, haven't seemingly had many morals. Suddenly they see Jesus, suddenly they have this encounter with Jesus, and their lives are transformed. And I know that's not everyone. 
But so often, our lack of biblical understanding, maybe, maybe you're someone that's never picked up a Bible, and you think, you know what, I'm so far away from being able to encounter Jesus. I'm so far away between being able to come into relationship with Jesus because I don't know my Bible. I don't live in a Christian way. I don't do things that Christians do. And I think this passage is saying, you know what? If you see and you believe in the resurrection, you can come into relationship with Jesus. And yet everything else is important, but it can come later. What is important is seeing and believing in the resurrection. You come into relationship with Jesus, everything else can follow. Even when we don't understand, like the other disciple, Jesus calls us into relationship with him. That is my first point, and I promise it's my longest point. Even when you don't understand like the other disciple, Jesus calls us into relationship with him. My second point is when all hope seems lost. And for this, we're going to look at Mary. This is verses 11 to 18. I'm not going to read it out because it was read so beautifully. Mary is at the tomb first. She arrives there early in the morning to start her grieving process. Jesus was a friend of Mary's. She was close with Jesus. She'd spent lots of time with Jesus. She'd grown to to love him as a friend. Mary was devastated that Jesus died. The passage says she was weeping. And Mary has this encounter with Jesus in John chapter 20. She has this encounter with Jesus, but to start with, she doesn't even realize it's him. He says to her, woman, why are you crying? This is verse 15. Who is it you are looking for? Side note here. Jesus says, who is it you're looking for? In John chapter 1, the first thing Jesus says is to John the Baptist. And it is, what do you want? Which can be translated as, who is it you're looking for? This is, in John chapter 20, the beginning of Jesus' second act. His risen, his comeback from the dead. He's saying again, who is it you're looking for? I just wonder, on this Easter Sunday... Could that question be for you tonight? Who is it you're looking for? What do you want? What is underlying your life? That's a side note, but I think it's important. He says, who is it you're looking for? Thinking it's the gardener, Mary says, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Mary does not realize, because she's so wrapped up in her own grief, her own devastation, her own sorrow, That Jesus, her solution, is standing right in front of her. Her solution, that is God, that is Jesus, is literally right in front of her. And she can't see him. She doesn't realize it. And I don't know about you, but is that not so true of us today sometimes? We can be so wrapped up in what is going on in our lives. I know I can be. We can be so wrapped up in a certain situation that seems so far away from what we thought God's plan was for us. So wrapped up in all the stuff that life brings that we can't see the solution. That is Jesus standing right in front of us, providing for us. I thought long and hard about an illustration for this. And this one, I don't want it to sound trivial because it really wasn't. But I can appreciate that outside of the situation it could sound trivial, so bear with me. I did my gap year in Rwanda. I lived there for just under seven months. I'm looking at my parents, yeah, seven months. Um, 
Yeah, and it was incredible. I lived um, in Kigali, in the capital. I worked in a school there. I went out on my own. Um, I lived with the Bishop of Kigali. It was amazing. Um, And for six weeks, they organized a placement for me to a village in Kigemi, which is a village in the south of Rwanda, near the border with Congo, um, working in refugee camp and doing various things there. And I didn't know where I was going. I knew the name, nothing else. Um, I'm sure it was slightly more stressful for my parents than it was for me. I was quite chilled about the whole thing. Um, And we drove through the dead of night one night. um, And we arrived, and I was living in a convent. Uh, Literally like a mixture of call the midwife and call the midwife. It was bizarre. It was like call the midwife. They were all in full habits. Um, They were all very young. They were about my age, um, Anglican nuns, the first Anglican convent in East Africa. And it had only been set up about a month when I arrived. Um, Incredible experience. If I'm honest, it was really hard. Uh, No one spoke any English. I went three weeks without having an English conversation. Um, I'd lied about the fact I spoke French. So they arrived thinking I spoke French because I really wanted to go, and I didn't. Um, So that was my own fault. I appreciate that. Um, But it made it quite stressful because they were all speaking to me in French and bonjour didn't really cut it. Um, And it was really hard. It was really, really tough. I went three weeks without an English conversation. There was no electricity. On the day I arrived, a tractor, I watched it happen, drove down the one road of the village and cut all the electricity wires that ran along the side of the road. And in an instant, the whole village went out. Um, Yeah. And there was no electricity for the whole time I was there. And about three weeks in... I was in this convent, and I hadn't spoken to anyone in English. I was starting to doubt the fact I could even speak in fluent English anymore. Um, And I was feeling really sorry for myself. I was feeling really, really sorry for myself. And I went into my bedroom. It was pitch black. um, And I was scrambling around looking for my Bible to take to evening prayer with the nuns, as you do. Um, And I was scrambling around, and I opened my wardrobe, and as I put my hand into my wardrobe to get my Bible out, a rat jumped out of my wardrobe onto my arm, scratching me in the process. Now, I grew up on a farm. I'm not an animal person. I'm just, and I'm not not a rat person. Regardless of the animals, I'm just not a rat person. I cried, I screamed. Cue these nuns running in with a broom, Um, trying to get this rat out of my room, um, which happened for a while, and then they left, and it was all a bit Tom and Jerry. Um, And life continued. That evening, I shut my bedroom door after checking there were no rats in there, and I lay on my bed and I cried. And I'm a little bit ashamed of that, actually, Um, but I did. I lay on my bed and I cried, and I could not see the good in that situation. I could not see any of the blessings that God was giving me, that God was providing for me, all I could think about was the fact that my arm hurt and this rat that at the beginning of the day had started this size was now about this size in my head and it was basically a lion that had jumped on me. Um, I was in a really low place. I was in a really, really low place. And life continued. A week later, I went to visit the nursery teacher in the village She was called Veneranda. She was an amazing lady. And she spoke a little bit of English, thanks be to God. Um, 
And we walked up to her house, and she was desperate to show me where she lived. And we went into her home, and it was quite small. Um, she lived there with her six siblings and her parents, who were both too ill to work. Um, and she was the only one currently in work. And she went, come, come with me. And we went into each room, holding hands. And she took me into the kitchen, and she went, this is where we cook. Praise be to God. And then we went to the bedroom, six beds in a row, and she went, this is where God allows me to rest. Praise be to God. And then we went into the courtyard and she went, this is where we grow. This is where God provides. Praise be to God. And we literally went around every room. And in that moment, nothing in my life had changed. Nothing in my life had changed at all. But my perspective shifted. Veneranda could every day have been wrapped up in her own grief that she couldn't see the blessings in her life. She could have been thinking about money problems. She could have been thinking about lack of space. She could have been thinking about lack of food. But instead, she chose to see the blessings that God gave her every day. And it made her thankful. It made her glorify him. It made her grateful for everything God had given her, even the really small things. And you see, in this passage, Mary's perspective shifts when Jesus says one simple word, Mary. He calls her by name. He calls her personally because he knows that in order for her to see him, he needs to call her by name. She is so wrapped up in what is going on in her life, so wrapped up in the grief that she has found herself in because of her love for Jesus, she can't see him right in front of her. And yet when he calls her by name, she responds. She sees him and she believes. She believes he's risen. She comes into relationship with him through her belief in the resurrection. You see, we can be so wrapped up in what's going on in our lives. But even when all hope seems lost, even when all hope seems lost in whatever situation we find ourselves in, Jesus calls us into relationship with him. That's my second point. When all hope seems lost, Jesus calls us into relationship with him. Which brings me on to my final point. My final point, which is my shortest point. And it is this, when it is too hard to believe. And for this, we're going to look at Thomas. Verses 24 to 29 talk about Thomas. Doubting Thomas, he is often referred to. Um, He's one of my favorite characters in the New Testament because I just think he's really honest. um, And I can relate to him a lot. Thomas is, is really blunt. You see, the beginning of the day, these disciples have seen that Jesus has risen. Jesus has appeared to them. Mary has gone, and she's gone and told other people about the resurrection. People are excited. People are thrilled that Jesus has risen from the dead. Stuff is about to start happening. Thomas isn't so sure. He ain't so keen, and he sure isn't going to believe it until he sees Jesus for himself until he sees the nail marks in his hands and he's able to put a finger in it and he sees the spear marks in his side, he's not believing it. And unbeknownst to Thomas, he sets himself a little bit of a trap, a little bit of a test here to test Jesus. And I don't think he realizes he's testing Jesus. I think he's just being blatantly honest. But Jesus doesn't have to respond to this. Jesus doesn't have to go and meet Thomas. Jesus doesn't have to go and appear to Thomas personally. 
Jesus knows, as God, that in the weeks, in the years to come, people are going to believe in him through the resurrection. People are going to see and believe through the resurrection, through the word of God, through the word of mouth, through the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have to appear to Thomas. But he wants to appear to Thomas. Jesus stands in front of Thomas and says, put your hand, put your hand, put your finger in my hand. Put your finger, put your hand on my side. Now, stop doubting and believe. Jesus chooses to meet Thomas personally. In the same way he chooses to speak to Mary by name. And Jesus wants to meet with every one of us personally. This is the same God who is described as leaving 99 sheep safely in a field and going to find the one that is lost. Jesus meets with Thomas personally and he wants to meet with every single one of us personally. And I don't know where you're at, but maybe you are someone that has been doubting this stuff for years. Maybe you are someone that has so many doubts and you haven't quite worked out how it all fits together. Maybe you're invited to loads of stuff. Maybe you're like my friend at uni who goes along to every Christian event but doesn't really get it yet. And you are not going to believe this until you have seen it personally. Jesus wants to meet with you. He wants you to encounter him. He wants you to come into a relationship with him. Jesus wanted Thomas. And he wants you. Even when it's too hard to believe, Jesus calls us into relationship with him. So as I close, when you don't understand, maybe your your Bible knowledge isn't up to scratch. Maybe you're not living in a way that you think is suitable to a Christian lifestyle. Maybe you're doing things that you know the Bible says you shouldn't. You know what? When you see and you believe in the resurrection, that stuff can follow. That stuff can change later. When you see and believe, Jesus calls you into relationship with him. When all hope seems lost, maybe you're in a situation right now where you just can't see God standing right in front of you, guiding your way. You know what? He is in that with you because he died a death so that he can be that, in that with you so that you can be free. He wants you to bring him into that situation, to look for him, as Mary did, to open your eyes and see him standing right in front of you. And when it's too hard to believe, when you've got so many doubts, when you haven't quite worked it all out yet, Jesus says, see, believe, now stop doubting. Stop doubting and I'll show you. Stop doubting and you can trust me. So my challenge tonight is really simple, but yet really challenging. Jesus leaves the 99, and he reaches out his hand to each of us, to you. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time in a certain situation. Jesus leaves the 99, and he reaches out his hand to you. Are you prepared to encounter Jesus, to accept Jesus in your life in that situation, are you prepared to encounter Jesus tonight? Let's take a moment to pray.
God, our Father, I thank you that you are God. I thank you that you are a good God. I thank you that you died so that we can be free and we can celebrate the fact that you rose again, Lord. And I thank you that we can have life in your name. Lord, wherever we're at tonight, I pray that we can encounter you, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, and can see you and hear from you in a different way, Lord. Even when we don't understand, even when all hope seems lost, and even when it's too hard to believe, Lord, I thank you that you call us into relationship with you.